A couple of weeks ago, we talked about identity and embracing our identity and what the enemy uh, ultimately came to steal. He came to steal, kill, and destroy our identity. Started all the way back in the garden with the first Adam. And, um, but thank the Lord, there's, Jesus is referred to in the scripture as the second Adam. And what Adam did not do in the garden, the responsibility, the beautiful things that, that, that was uh, given for mankind to have in relationship. And again, we, we already covered it, but if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, just a real quick, um, just to kind of uh, recapture that just a little bit. The, the relationship that was given for man to have was, was lost because of disobedience and because of the lies of the serpent that was perpetrated. And the fact really, when it comes right down to it, Adam did not really take proper responsibility for what he should have done. And so all of this time goes by, and then what's referred to in the scripture as a second Adam is Jesus Christ himself. And we see, I'd like, I would like to just refer real briefly to a passage of scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 3, all the way through uh, verses of chapter 4 and 11, talking about Jesus, how that right after he was baptized, and let's just read a little bit of this, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Okay, so let's stop right there. There is, there is a powerful example of identity. The father himself has just spoken over Jesus and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And look what happened right after that. Verse four, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And a couple of weeks ago, let me stop right there. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the culture and how dangerous culture is. If we let culture shape and mold our identity, we're in danger of really missing out on the unique identity that we have that's been afforded to us by what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. We're going to miss out on that. And if we're not careful, we'll allow culture just to, you know, all of the stuff that's constantly berating us. To, to cause us to think in ways that are outside of the actual parameters that God would have for us. And that's what happened again in the garden that was lost. But in comes Jesus. What Adam, the first Adam didn't do, look what Jesus did. He says he, that he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, so let's, let's, let's look at that. That hunger right there denotes and depicts as a great example of how us... Even those of us that know the Lord as Savior, as Savior, to really say that we know him as Lord is where sometimes the challenge comes in. Because we start to get hungry to be something, to achieve something, to have something, whatever that is, you can fill in the blank for yourself. And there's a hunger, there's something in us that's striving or wanting to have something. And we try to fill that in and of ourselves. And that's exactly the time the devil and the enemy is going to come to you. And he's going to say, you're hungry, but here's what you need. Here's what you need to fill your life up with. Oh, this will make you, this will, this will just make you look so good. It'll make you feel so wonderful. But guess what? It's a trick and it's a lie. 
It's a trick and it's a lie. So Jesus has been affirmed in his identity that he is the son of God. Not only that, the father is well pleased. This is going well. This is going well. He's hungry. And then what's the first thing the enemy says to him? In verse three, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That's the first thing the devil, the enemy's going to come to you. He's going to come to you and say, oh, really? Well, if you really are a Christian, this. If you really, if you really do identify with Christ, well, this. And he's going to challenge you in the place of where you may feel weak. Because let me tell you something. There is not one of us in here that measure up within ourselves. It's all because of the grace and the mercy and the justification that we have by putting our faith in one name. We're not justified by our own efforts. We know that clearly. If, you, if, you, if you've been around church and if, you're, if you've not been around church and you're here today, you've not been around church very much, let me tell you something. You're never going to do enough or be enough to be justified. It's only by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Only by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So this is what happens. The enemy will try to come to us and try to throw us off track by trying to get us away from the fact that we can stand justified and have the identity of Jesus and his lordship in our life. And so I'm so thankful that what happened in these two archetypes, the first Adam that was created and the second Adam is, is this, is this, that the first Adam believed the lie that there was a greater reward by the serpent outside of the parameters of the garden, outside of the relationship that had been given freely. He believed the lie that there was a greater reward by the serpent and lost what could have been so beautiful. But Jesus, check this out. Jesus was offered everything by that same serpent, that sneaky serpent offered the same thing, but because Jesus understood and knew who he was affirmed, he stood the test and he was able to go on and walk out in obedience who he was and to achieve and accomplish the goal of what he was to do. And that was to lay down his life for us so that we could be in relationship. And now that we're in relationship, now what? Now what do we do? Now that we have an understanding of our true identity in Jesus and, and, and the fact that we can have newness and we can have purpose and we can have, we can have uh, you know, the reality of, of all that God would have for us, what do, we, what do we do with that? Well, I just want to challenge you this morning in something very simple. And, and my, my message has one point, one point. And it's this, it's, it's the fact that we need to take action in, in the area of love, in the area of love. Now I know love, you know, we, we kind of joke around about it in our connect group on Wednesday night with the guys. That's, you know, we talk about, oh, love, you know, it's a, not a very manly sounding word, but love is a very powerful thing. Love is a very powerful thing. Matter of fact, in Romans it says, uh, what chapter is that? Romans chapter five, verse eight, it says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm talking about a kind of love that goes and will. It, it, we sing a song, we started singing this song here recently called Reckless Love. And, 
And sometimes people will say, well, what, what, what do you mean by, why, why would you use that term reckless? How can you say that the love of God is reckless? Well, it, it, it may appear, it may appear that way because I'm telling you something, God stopped at nothing. God stopped at nothing. And that love that he displayed to come after us and to pursue us after all of the eons of time that had gone by, it may, it may, it, it, doesn't it look that way kind of on paper to us that why would God send his only son to die for us? Because he loved us. That's, that's why, because he loved us. So here's the thing. So what are we supposed to do now as the church? In our identity as the church, not just a, a, a group of people meeting together in a building, but a living, breathing organism of people that are walking about, moving about on the face of the earth in your workplace, in your homes, and in your communities. Let's get real about it. How do we demonstrate love? How do we, de- what does that look like? What does that look like? The movie that we watched, The Case for Christ, the whole premise of it, just a real quick snippet of it. Uh, Lee Strobel, who was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, uh, I guess it was back in the 70s, if I understand correctly. Um, his wife became a Christian. You know how? Because somebody invited her to church. And Pastor Bowen was talking about that. That's why don't take for granted the, the opportunity to invite somebody and just say, hey, come with me. Come with me to church. And sometimes I have to remind myself because I, I've been around this set, this kind of setting for a long, long time. But I have to remind myself that we do come from many, many different backgrounds. And some of us that come from certain backgrounds say, well, ministry and church looks like this. And others, that come, if we were to poll the, those of you that are here this morning, everybody would have a little bit of a different idea about what that looks like. But I have to remind myself sometimes that for somebody that's brand new and they happen, and let's say New Hope, for instance, if, the, if they come into this place for, for the first time, and if you're visiting with us for the first time today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't, you have no, you don't know. You don't know? So in this movie, this lady was invited to a church service. And the, the, the environment, everything was completely new to her. But you know what? She had a need in her life. There was a vacancy in her heart where Jesus was not Lord of her life. She didn't even know. She didn't know the Lord. And because of her heart being pliable and ready, man, the words from the pastor that was speaking that day, she was just taking it all in and she became a Christian, but her husband, Lee Strobel, who was this investigative reporter was, uh, a, an atheist. He did not believe in God. In fact, he said he only believed in something that he could see, feel, or touch. He only believed in something he could see, feel, or touch. And in one of his interviews, I mean, he went on this, this uh, tirade to go about disproving the fact that Jesus actually died on the cross and that he was resurrected from the dead. And he spent countless days and weeks and hours investigating experts in their fields. And he could not, he finally came to the point where that he had to face the fact that Jesus Christ actually died on a cross and was resurrected from the dead. But he was determined in that process. The reason he was doing that, he was trying to disprove it because you know what he said? He said he wanted his wife back. He wanted a person that encountered the, the love and the change of Jesus Christ. He, he said he didn't want her to, 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 to be like that. 
And in fact, in a conversation they had in, in, during the movie, she told him that she actually loved him more than she ever had before. And so we see that there's, there's a void out there in many people's lives, but that lady, that whole process started from a simple invitation. She got invited to church. She sat in a seat, just like you're sitting in this morning. And the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit did a work that actually began a, a process of change that affected not only her, but her whole family. And that, so we don't need, we should not take that for granted. We should not take that for granted. So let's all, let's all get it. Let's all partner together as Pastor Bo and ask us and let's, let's invite somebody uh, to church. So, so here we are, life change. We're different. We've accepted the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have an identity. We see that the father has demonstrated his love toward us. Now, here's the question. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Can we agree upon this one thing? I've been around for a while now. I have never seen our world, and I mean the world, so confused and conflicted in identity. Everybody is vying and trying to figure out identity. And it's, it's really the responsibility of the church um, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in a world that's really conflicted. Would you all give me permission to be very candid? Can, is it okay if I do that? Um, we, we see people that are conflicted in their identity in so many different ways. And even to the point that it's even come to the place of gender now. Like people are confused. We're so confused. We don't know not only who we're, let, let's, let's forget about identity and who I am. What am I? Am I a male? Am I a female? What am I? And so we, we see it. It's, it's so evident that people are so mixed up and conflicted. And this is the world that we're living in. And it's the same thing that's been going on through the eons of time. It's the devil and it's the enemy and it's lies that are being perpetrated in the culture that has gotten everyone mixed up. And so we have LGBT, LMNOP. I mean, it's like, you know, what, how many more letters are we going to add, add to it? I mean, it's like we just, it just keeps getting more and more conflicted. And, and, but, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the question. Are we going to love people? Are we going to love in this environment that we're in? Are we going to love in this environment that we're in? How do we how do we wrap our how do we wrap our minds around that and how do we wrap our actions around that? Because I'm just like everybody else. It's easy to kind of get in your own little group and you feel kind of safe in your own little bubble and it's okay. Let's all get over here and we we have this opinion about this and this is the way it is and you surround yourself with enough people. It feels it, your perception of that is like that's reality. Or you're over here in this group of people, and you're like, oh no, this is the way it is. And, and pick any issue. You know what the issues are out there right now. Whatever the issue is, and we all kind of gravitate towards one another so that we can substantiate and validate the way we feel about something in identity. 
Well, I want to look at a, I want to look at a case in point in scripture today to prove, prove my point and what I'm talking about. And this is, this is my one point message and we're going to, we're going to close. If you would turn to chap, uh, John chapter eight, John chapter eight. And I want you to see a story that's recorded in the book of John that a, a few, a couple of months ago, I read through the book of John and, and this during the time, I don't know if it was afterwards, afterwards or when it was, but something just kind of came to me one day and I wanted to, to, to point this out. So John chapter eight, this is what it says, starting with verse one, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and most of you guys have been around church anytime, you'll know this story. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught Notice that, caught in adultery. They made her stand, humiliation, shame. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order as a basis for accusing him. And here's where there's been a lot of speculation. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So we see it happen a second time. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing. Mm. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and listen, go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's start at the end of that story. Go now and leave your life of sin. Sin, whatever that is for you, whatever that is, that which keeps you out of relationship with the Lord is that same thing that's, that's, that's here is that It's whatever separates you. Sin is whatever separates you from God. Now, I know that across, not not at New Hope here, but uh, in a a lot of churches across the country, you don't hear a lot about sin and repentance. But let 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 me declare to you very clearly and very boldly this morning that sin is a real thing. And that if you think that because you're a good person that that's going to cut it, it will not. Because we, sin entered the world through the disobedience that we talked about in the garden and it's inherently within mankind. It's inherently within us. It's, it's sort of like, it's, and, and pastors pointed out many times, you, when, little, when little children are growing up, you don't have to teach them to, to, to say no 
and to lie. They just, it's just, it just, it's just part of their inherent nature. Similar to an apple tree. You you don't have to, an apple tree doesn't have to try to produce an apple. It just produces apples because that's what it is. We as humans are inherently sinful and we need a savior. And so repentance has to take place. And if you're here this morning and you're like, oh no, I'm fine. It's everything's good. I'm a good person. No. We have to reckon with sin, anything that separates us from God, and we need repentance. So that's, that's, what, that's what that points to is anything that would keep us out of relationship. But here's the thing, here's the thing that, that, that stuck out to me when I, when I read this. It came to me later. Notice in this passage of Scripture the love of Jesus and the fact that these experts in the law have a, have a dead ringer of a case. I don't know if any of you are involved in, in criminal justice or we have any attorneys here or anything, but this is, this is a dead ringer. This is, a, this is, a, this is easy. We have, this person's been caught. We're gonna bring them and, we're, and Jesus is gonna, he's gonna have to, what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? But I love the way Jesus operates in his mercy. Has the Lord been merciful to any of you guys? I know he has been with me. I love the way Jesus operates in mercy. What does he do first? He deals with her accusers first. He deals with the accusations first. Same thing in our lives. All of the lies that have been perpetrated against you, Jesus is willing to deal with those lies that have been perpetrated against you. He dealt with the accusations first. And so here are the so-called experts of the law trying to argue case in point, letter by letter, word by word of the law with the very author of that law himself. Isn't that ironic? These so-called experts are trying to argue what's been written with the writer. And so they, they had a couple little little things that that they, they may not have realized that as they called him, they came to him almost a little bit sarcastically. Oh, teacher, this is what's ha- teacher. You, are you going to teach us something? Well, a couple of little, a little points that, that they may not have realized that since the, they were talking to the actual author, here's what actually happened. If somebody was caught in adultery and these experts knew this, if a woman was caught in adultery, not only was she supposed to be stoned, the man was required to be brought and stoned as well. Well, he's conspicuously absent. Could it be, and this is speculation, could it be that the first time Jesus bent down right on the ground was that maybe he was pointing to that, that, that law in Deuteronomy where it requires that. If one's gonna be stoned, the other has to be stoned. That's one thing right there. Secondly, in that same passage of scripture that you may not know, is that when it says that he who was without sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, in this particular time in history, when there was a capital crime or anything that was very egregious, they would, that person would be, just like they did, they would be actually brought to the temple and they would be tried by the, what was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was, was what we would consider to be like Supreme Court. Well, that's kind of what we would know as the Supreme Court of the Jewish law. And that's why they brought her there, to be tried. But the other thing is that in a court case, there's going to be examination and cross-examination. 
So in theory, or in fact, the way that it's supposed to work is there would have been questioning and they would find out who the witness, who saw this happen. Did you see that happen, Bob? Or was it you? You saw that happen, John? Oh, okay. Here, here's, my, here's my point. The law also says that whoever the witness is, is the one that's supposed to cast the first stone. Uh-oh, may have a little problem here. The, the person that was the witness here, you saw it, Bob. Here, you saw it, John. Otherwise, the law also states that if there's a false witness, they would be stoned. So you see, the, the, the case is not so, not so simple now because the so-called experts are arguing with the very one that wrote the law. And one by one, they began, to, they began to leave. They began to walk away. And there's more in there. I don't have time to go through some of the other interesting little points about that, that discourse. But, but I find it amazing that the love of God is, has, has been willing first to deal with the accuser of our souls. That's huge. That's huge for you. That's huge for me to know that I don't have to stand. I don't have to be ashamed. And that after that took place, Jesus said, woman, where are they? Who has condemned you or has no one condemned you? Now, don't, don't misunderstand when Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, that he's saying, oh, it's okay. Do you hear that over here on the, on the left side? Do you hear that over there on the right side? It's not a condoning it. It's, it's like, okay, it's okay that the grace and the love of God makes that it's okay that I sin and that, I, uh, that, that things are, no, that's not what's being said at all because he finished it up by saying, go now, leave, leave get, get out of that kind of lifestyle. Be done with that. Don't do that anymore. Don't live like that anymore. So he's not in any way condoning that. But the beauty of it is that the love of the Father and the love of Jesus is so great for us that we really have no other choice as the church but to respond and demonstrate his love to other people. Okay? So this is where... This is where it gets real. So all of the people that are out there, I know people, you know people that are maybe living in, in, a, in such a way that they're outside of the parameters of who they really ought to be. They're living outside of the parameters of what they should be doing. They're harming themselves. They're harming others. That's the thing about sin. It doesn't just affect the person. It has a chain reaction and it hurts other people along the way. But let me just say this to us as a body, as people representing the love of Jesus. Let's be willing to love people that are conflicted. Let's think about the, 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 the you know, even a worst case scenario, somebody that's in a, a bizarre, whatever lifestyle. We have to be able to be willing to love them because here's, here's the distinction. Loving them is not condoning what they're doing because you love somebody doesn't say, I approve of what you're doing. You're just loving them. 
And if there was ever a time in our world and in our culture and in our society where people just needed someone to love them, it's now. It's now. Church, I, I ask you from, from the bottom of my heart, and, and if, you're, if you're here today and, you've, and you have a family member that's maybe way out there and they're doing something, don't break, don't, don't break contact and communication with them. Love them. Communicate with them. You may, be the la- you may be their last hope. You may be their last hope. Now, I'm not talking about people that take advantage I'm not, of you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love people that are out there and they're lost. Be willing to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. To be willing to have a conversation with them. To be willing to engage and just, you know, it, it could be the smallest thing in your, maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe you're a school teacher and it's a, it's a child in your school. Maybe, maybe it's in your workplace, you know, because the, the tendency is it's like, and again, if I can just be really honest about it, it's, it's like, I feel like more and more, it's like, it's us and them. It's us and them. It's us Christians and them old stinking sinner people. Those old stinking people that are all messed up. No, Jesus loves those people. And if, if his love doesn't come through us, how are they going to experience that? So that's, that's the challenge this morning. That's the, that's the one-point uh, message. And don't think, don't think that your activity and your words of encouragement and if you're interacting with people, you're interacting with people doesn't make a difference because you just never know. You just never know the impact you're going to make. We're going to close, but I'd like to show a real quick one-minute video of what I'm talking about. Anybody heard of Dr. Billy Graham? All right. Check this little video out, and you'll see what I'm talking about. every little tiny opportunity you have to be the love of Jesus to somebody. It can be so small and it can be so simple, but you do not realize the seed that may be planted that can literally turn into something like this to affect somebody's life. Can we bow our heads this morning? Lord, I thank you today for 
your word, and I thank you for the challenge of your word. Lord, in this mixed up, conflicted identity crisis of a culture that we live in, Lord, it would be so easy for us to just stay to ourselves, to not engage, to not talk, to not interact, to just live life with the people that we like, that we agree with, rather than look for opportunities to at least speak words of encouragement, to ask somebody how they're doing, if there's something that we could pray for them about. And Lord, I just pray today that all of us would be reminded when opportunities will arise and we encounter people that are outside of the parameters of where we really need to be. Lord, this is where it gets real, that we would really be your church. Lord, that we would not just get together in a building that we call church, but that we would really be the church in this world. Lord, and I pray for everyone today that does not know you yet. Lord, where sin's a real thing. It's that which separates us from you in relationship. But you demonstrated your love to us through the cross. Lord Jesus, you allowed yourself to be put onto a torture device for us. But you rose from the dead. And I thank you for that. Now with, with everyone still with their heads bowed, I want to ask this question because we did this in the first service and there were several. If you're here this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to come up here, but if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you've not repented of your sin, you're separated from the Lord, you're a good person, but you've not accepted the salvation of Jesus Christ through what he's done for you. I just want you to just make up your mind and just do it. Just raise your hand and say, that's it. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to Christ today. I'm going to give my heart to the Lord Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay, I see that over there. Thank you very much. I see that in the back back there. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Just be bold about it. Stop. Tr- thank you. I see that. Stop trying to. You're never going to be good enough. Let the, let the Lord do a new work in your life. Create a brand new chapter, a brand new story, a brand new book, brand new destiny. It awaits everyone that's willing to say yes to Jesus. Anybody else real quick?